Good morning. I know what you're thinking. I do. Why are we still in this series on forgiveness? After three sermons, we've got it all figured out by now. Who knew it could be so easy after all? I know all of your relationships are now in perfect peace. You've had all the hard conversations. Flowers just now magically grow wherever you walk. But just in case there's a couple of us that are still working through it, we have two weeks left in this series. And today is about unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. It's a very deep, complex, and ridiculously challenging passage, all wrapped inside of a really simple story. Forgiveness is hard. Have you tried it? (laughs) Forgiveness is hard. And ironically enough, the very places where forgiveness is needed most, the harder it is to give, the harder it can be to receive. There's so many layers to what we have done and what's been done to us. There's so much baggage to unpack, so many burdens to remove. It's like you've heard Mark tell you the past two weeks. There is so much to forgive and so much to be forgiven. So many debts to cancel and so many people to set free. But my question to you is, do you believe it? Do you actually believe that? If so, what have you done about it? Who are you looking to forgive? What debts are you trying to cancel? Or do you find yourself reluctant? The reason we're spending two more weeks in this series on forgiveness is because we've been in it just long enough for you to either think that you've got it or to talk yourself out of it. Been in the series just long enough to feel convicted, but then we can stop there as though the work is done and we never move on to action. As though we've explored the depths of forgiveness just because we engage with it in the cognitive realm. And friends, oftentimes the distance between conviction and action is light years. The journey of moving on from forgiveness as just an idea you engage with to something that is actively at work and shaping your life is one of the hardest things that you will ever do. It's also one of the most freeing. And these things take time. I would really love it if all of your life's greatest problems could be dealt with in a couple of sermons. But we don't live in a sitcom. Is life so easy? It takes time to process these things, to feel the weight of them, to work through them, and to find the courage 
to act on them. And maybe just now, after three weeks, you've just started thinking about what forgiveness means for you. What everything Jesus has been saying to us, what that actually means for you in your life, with your situation, your stories, and all of those people that you've had to deal with. Maybe that process has just started for you as some unfinished business has come back to the surface or things that you thought were in the past suddenly feel like they happened yesterday. But then we'd start a new series today. And then you'd let yourself off the hook. And we would move on so quickly from something that Jesus wants us to consider deeply. And the truth is we cannot underestimate or overlook our reluctance. Because Jesus teaches very difficult, eternally significant things about forgiveness and about what you do with forgiveness. And it should make us feel uncomfortable. I mean, to the point where over the last three weeks, if you haven't felt uncomfortable, where have you been? If what Jesus has said doesn't make you feel uncomfortable, have you heard what he has actually said to you? And then when we do feel convicted, we can often do what Peter does. We look for a way out. We try to negotiate our way out of it. So in light of what we've heard Jesus say thus far, we, on the one hand, don't want to think of ourselves as an unforgiving person. But at the same time, we don't want to bear the sacrifice of being a forgiving person. And so we try to negotiate and find some middle ground. How can I offer just enough forgiveness to check the righteousness box while also making sure that it isn't too costly? And if that's where you find yourself this morning, then we have work to do to understand again Jesus' teaching on forgiveness. Because all that negotiation just means that we're still just approaching forgiveness as though it's an idea that can be negotiated with. It's just an idea where we decide the limits and the boundaries and the terms of the agreement. And if that's where you are, then you are in good company. Because that's exactly where we find Peter in our passage. He's negotiating. Because just before this passage that was read to you, Jesus actually taught on forgiveness. And so perhaps just like us, Peter had heard just enough to feel uncomfortable with everything that he was hearing. He felt the weight of conviction and his reluctance to action. So he asked Jesus a question. Lord, if my brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? Seven times? How many times should I forgive? Jesus, how much is this going to cost? Now Peter's question needs a little context. Because Peter was certainly aware of the predominant rabbinical teaching of his day that said that someone was only obligated to forgive someone three times. That's it. You were only obligated to forgive someone three times. And so Peter, being Peter, hears Jesus teach on forgiveness, and he probably thought maybe he'd get a little bit of extra credit. And so he goes and he says, So how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven? 
How about I double it? And then add one more. Just because I'm so forgiving. Jesus, does that sound about right? Does that not capture the essence of your teaching? But do you see what Peter's really asking? Do you see what he's really asking? He's asking Jesus what he has to do before he's off the hook. That's what he's really after. Jesus, I, I hear your teaching, and so I'll forgive and all, but when am I free to no longer forgive? And the problem is that Peter hears Jesus. He hears everything that Jesus is saying, all of it, live and in the flesh, and he still thinks that forgiveness is just an idea, just something to philosophically engage, something to negotiate with. It's just this relational, economic transaction, an exchange based on the actions of another. It's really all just up for debate, right? But Jesus says, no, Peter, I don't say seven times. I say 77 times. I say 77 times. Now that, to us, is a really strange response. But it's a shocking statement. And it's lost on us, but Peter would have picked up on what Jesus is saying immediately. Because in just a simple, few short words, Jesus completely blew up Peter's categories for forgiveness. In just a few short words, he addresses how Peter's understanding of forgiveness is far too simplistic because he's treating forgiveness like it's just an idea that he can negotiate with and debate about. And Jesus is saying, no, forgiveness is not an idea. Forgiveness is about your identity. Forgiveness is about who you are. Forgiveness is about your identity. And yet, what does that even mean? What does that even mean, and how do we get that from what Jesus says? Well, the thing that Peter would have picked up on is how Jesus uses the number 77. And it is not about the literal number 77 and forgiving someone 77 times and you keeping all the tick marks in your journal. It has nothing to do with that. Jesus is actually alluding to a very old, old story that you heard earlier. It's that old story all the way back from Genesis 4 where this language was first used. It's the story of Lamech. Lamech, who was a descendant of Cain. And after Cain, the Bible tells us about life after the fall. And how humanity continues just to fall deeper and deeper into this downward spiral of evil and corruption and chaos. And right in the middle of that little sweet story, the Bible tells us about Lamech. It tells us about a song that he wrote to express what the world had become. And Lamech said, if anyone ever wrongs me, young or old, I will kill them. And I have. If Cain is avenged seven times, then I will avenge myself 77 times. 
And again, it's not about the number. This was Lamech singing about the identity that he had chosen to live out and his very posture towards the world. He's talking about his life's work. He's talking about where he will invest his energy and his purpose. It's an identity where if anyone, anyone, young, old, wrongs him or hurts him, he will dedicate his life to vengeance and retribution. He's saying, this is who I am. I am vengeance. And so the Bible is asking you to think about this. What happens then? When the world is full of Lamechs. It's not just telling us about Lamech and who he is. It's telling us about the human condition. It's telling us who we are. And so when Peter asks this question, Jesus says to him, No, I don't say seven times. I say forgive them 77 times. Do you hear what he's saying? Do you hear what Jesus is saying? When Jesus talks about forgiveness, he does not talk about it as though it's not just a little something that you do. It's not an act that you get to decide on. It's not just an idea. Forgiveness is rooted in your very identity. Forgiveness is to be who you are. Forgiveness is how we are to posture ourselves towards this world that will hurt us. That's a tough pill to swallow. And I know you don't want to swallow it. <laughs> Who does? Look, this is why Jesus' teaching about forgiveness is so radical. It does not fit inside any of our boxes. You have to remember there is a reason that people just walked away from Jesus. They didn't want anything to do with him. Because to truly follow him requires that you change your entire disposition to the world around you. It costs you so much. It feels like a cross on your back. And so when Jesus responds to Peter, he's addressing how his understanding of forgiveness is just far too small. It's far too simplistic. Where forgiveness for him was just this idea that he could negotiate with and just kind of check that box where we decide the terms of the agreement. We decide how much is enough, when we should, when we shouldn't, who's worthy, who's not. We keep a running tab on the sins of others. We decide when forgiveness should be given and when forgiveness has run out. And Jesus, in a few short words, just undoes all of that. And he's saying, as long as you approach forgiveness like it's just a little philosophical idea, then your understanding of everything I'm telling you is far too small. Because if the rabbis say, forgive someone three times, or you say, forgive someone seven times, in the end, how are you any different? Peter, your question really isn't about forgiveness. Your question is really about unforgiveness. Because what you're looking for isn't really how to offer true forgiveness. What you want to know is when you are free to hold on to your unforgiveness. 
you want to know when you're off the hook so you don't have to forgive anymore. You're trying to figure out how to forgive just enough so that you will feel justified clinging to your unforgiveness. Peter, you sound like Lamech. And like I said, we've been in this series just long enough to talk yourselves out of it. <laughs> Why? Because we can do the same thing Peter does. Who hasn't? Just like Peter, we hear Jesus and everything that he says, but we still approach forgiveness like it's this negotiable idea, and we try to set limits and boundaries to it, all the while the radical true nature of what Jesus is telling us and teaching us doesn't sink in. And so just like Peter, we've heard Jesus teaching us about forgiveness these last three weeks with the paralytic and the prodigal. And of course, we sense the weight of it. Maybe it starts to resurrect some old situations that you thought were in the past. Maybe some faces have just flashed across your mind these last few weeks. And you realize that there's some unfinished business in your own heart. And yet, that's when the negotiation starts. Do I really need to do that? Do I really need to go that far? Does this really apply to me when it happened so long ago? Can't I just forgive privately in my own heart without addressing them? They probably have forgotten about it anyways. Well, since I've never asked for forgiveness, am I truly obligated? Or they've just hurt me so many times. Why would I let them off the hook when they don't seem to care or want to change? Jesus isn't talking about my situation because after what was done to me, how could I be expected to forgive? Those are all just different versions of the same question. How many times, Jesus? How many times? When am I going to be free to hold on to my unforgiveness? We can hear Jesus and feel convicted just enough to try to start negotiating our way out of it and start defining forgiveness on our own terms, the when, the why, and the how, but just like Peter, it's not really about asking or giving forgiveness. It's really just about wanting to be free to hold on to our unforgiveness. And what Jesus wants us to see is that if forgiveness is rooted in our identity, then so is unforgiveness. It becomes your very posture towards everything and everyone. It subconsciously just becomes how you live. And it just becomes who you are. And Jesus is asking you, do you really understand what your unforgiveness means? Do you really see it? And so Jesus tells Peter a story. But if you notice, it's not actually a story about forgiveness where Jesus says, all right, Peter, this is what forgiveness actually really looks like. No, he doesn't do that. He actually tells Peter a story about unforgiveness. Because Jesus wants us to really see what's going on inside the unforgiving heart, to see what's happening in the unforgiving life. And to see how serious it truly is. 
So there was a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants, and so he brought them in one by one to pay down their debts. And there was one man who stood before the king, and the king saw that this man owed 10,000 talents. Now, since we naturally think in terms of dollars, subconsciously doesn't seem like that massive, mind-blowing kind of number, right? You add up your mortgage and your car loan and student loans and all that stuff, and you wish that you just had $10,000 of debt. That's not what's going on in this story. To understand this parable, we have to understand what 10,000 talents really means. It is an absolutely absurd number. And that's the point of the entire parable. And there's two ways of understanding that number. The first way of seeing it is that one talent was around 20 years of salary. One talent was 20 years of salary. So just putting that in modern terms, just to get a ballpark idea, this man owed 10,000 talents, which means he owes 200,000 years of salary, which means he owed around $12 billion. And you thought you had some debt. This brother has some debt. This man probably owed more than the entire GDP of the Roman Empire. It is an absurd, egregious, ridiculous number. And that's the whole point. But the other way of looking at that number is that Jesus is actually implying that his debt was even more than that $12 billion. Because 10,000 was the highest number in Roman numerology. They stopped counting at 10,000. And so what Jesus is implying is that this man owed as much as he possibly could. It couldn't get any higher. This man's debt was infinite and unpayable. And so the king orders him and his family to be sold into slavery and to sell everything that this man had. But the man falls on his knees and he begs. He says, have patience with me. Have patience with me and I will repay you everything. I'll pay it all back. And so the king, out of his pity for this man, releases him. And the king forgave all of his debts. Or another way of thinking about it is that the king paid for this man's debts. But then the servant goes out. And he runs into a man who owed him a hundred denarii, just a couple hundred bucks. And the man seized him and choked him around the neck and demanded payment. And then the other man fell on his face. And he said, have patience with me and I will repay everything to you. I will repay all of it. I'll pay you back. But the man refused and he threw this man in prison until the man paid the debt that he owed. But when all the other servants saw what happened, they were troubled and even offended by what they saw. And so they went and they told the king, and the king was enraged. So the king had this man brought before him, and he said, I forgave all of your debt because you pleaded with me, and you couldn't show mercy to your fellow servant." Like I showed mercy to you? 
So the king tossed the man in jail with the torturers until his infinite debt was paid. Now there's an obvious element to this parable. It's so obvious that we shouldn't overlook it. What's obvious is that what this man did is just so off-putting and egregious. What this man did to the other man is just so wrong. But why? Why? Why is it so obviously wrong? And here's what I mean. You don't have to be a Christian to see it. You could tell that story to a Christian or a non-Christian, and their response is going to be the exact same. They'd both be bothered by what this man did. They'd both call it wrong. They'd both call it despicable. Why? It's because we inherently know that forgiveness isn't just an idea. Forgiveness is giving someone a whole new identity. That's why it's so hard to give. This is wrong to us because we inherently know that this man betrayed something. He betrayed something. He discarded something so precious that demanded that he live a different kind of life and offer to others what he himself had received. This man betrayed the new identity and new life that was given to him because that forgiveness means exactly that. That forgiveness means that he was given a whole new life. Because the king in his mercy said, your identity to me is not based on your debts or what you owe me. I will pay it. And I will set you free. And who you are now, your very life, your very identity is now born of mercy and grace. And yet the forgiveness shown to this man isn't what he showed to others. And instead, he clung to his unforgiveness. He embraced it, and he lived according to an old identity of vengeance and retribution and payment and debt. And he was thrown into jail with the torturers. And make no mistake, this parable is not about some hypothetical situation or just some ethereal, unforgiving person out there somewhere. Jesus is talking about you. Jesus is talking about me. Jesus is talking about us. Because he ends this parable with what should shock us most. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And I said at the beginning of this series, we want to be reawakened to the beauty of forgiveness. But this parable reminds us that we also have to be awakened to our unforgiveness. And to see what it really means. We have to be awakened to the ways that we just have treated forgiveness like just some subjective idea that we can come to some terms of agreement with. But all it really is, is just trying to let ourselves off the hook and hold on to our unforgiveness so that we don't have to forgive anymore. And Jesus is showing us in this parable 
what's really going on in the unforgiving life and the unforgiving heart. Because where did this man's unforgiveness come from? What would cause him to betray this new life and identity that was given to him? Well, it's really quite simple. It's where the whole absurdity of the story begins. It's verse 26. After the man hears his debt, he says to the king, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back everything. I'll pay you back. He doesn't see his debt. He doesn't see it. He still treats it as though it's something that he can pay back. He still treats it as though it's something still under his control. His unforgiveness just flows out of a heart that completely overlooks the size and scale and magnitude of his own debt. And it sets the course and direction for his life. He cannot see his debt. And he thought that forgiveness that he received was a reward for his willingness to pay it all back. And everything flows from this. Because if he can't see the size of his debt, then he can't see the size and magnitude of the forgiveness that's been given to him. And if he can't see the size of that forgiveness, then he won't understand that he's been given a whole new identity, a whole new life, and he has been set free. And instead, he lives under the absurd illusion that he can repay back his infinite debt, which means that mercy and grace no longer get factored into how he sees himself. Mercy and grace get factored out of his own personal sense of identity and who he is. And so, of course, why then would he factor mercy and grace into how he sees and views and acts towards others? Because if he can pay back his debt, then everybody else should too. Especially those who owe him. Forgiveness offered this man a whole new identity, but he couldn't see it. Because he couldn't see his debt. And he continued to live out an old story through an old identity of retribution and vengeance and payment and debt. He chose to continue to live as a debtor. In bondage. And in the end, that's exactly what the king gave him. The very identity that he wanted for himself. As someone who wanted to pay everything back. And the king gave him eternity to try to do it. Why does Jesus take unforgiveness so seriously? It's because it's a denial and betrayal of the identity that we have been given. It is a denial and a betrayal of how much that cost. It's a denial and a betrayal of the one who paid it. So what do we do with all this? How can forgiveness flow back into your marriage towards your spouse? 
How is it that forgiveness can start to fill that space between you and your parents? How is it that you can forgive your kids, your friend, your abuser? How can forgiveness fill your home? How can forgiveness heal you of your past and give you hope for the future? How can forgiveness fill your heart so that your heart stops grabbing everybody by the neck and demanding payment? How can your heart finally let that one person Jesus is asking you to consider first if you've lost sight of what you've been forgiven and to understand what losing sight really means. Have you forgotten about your debt? Have you treated his forgiveness towards you like it's a reward for all of your quiet times and good behavior and regular tithing and kindness and southern hospitality? Has mercy and grace been cut out of how you see yourself? No longer rooted in your identity and understanding that's exactly who you are. Or in other words, in other words, when you look at the cross, have you lost sight of what it communicates about you? It's so easy to do. We look at the cross, we think about it, and sure, we love to see it as a beautiful expression of Christ's sacrificial love, but we so quickly forget to remember it as payment for my debt in my place. We forget what it communicates about us. And instead, we can live out an old identity that just clings to vengeance and retribution the cycle of our own justice in our relationships and in our lives and demanding payments and tracking debt. And we justify our unforgiveness. We baptize all that violence in our hearts towards others. And we use the debts of others to make our own feel smaller. And so we can compare ourselves to others and say, well, at least I'm not that bad. At least I haven't done that. What that person did is unforgivable. They deserve what they got. And we cling to our unforgiveness. And we call it righteousness. And yet there's a king who says, Have you forgotten that all of your debts lead to the exact same place and require the exact same price? They all lead to a savior on a cross. Have you forgotten your debt? I know some of you have to forgive such evil things that have been done to you. It's probably going to take you the rest of your life. I know some, I don't know all, but I am so sorry for what happened to you. Maybe you were just so little. Maybe you didn't know how to handle it. 
Maybe you were surprised. And you hear all this talk about forgiveness and it just feels so scary. But would you allow this parable to be one step towards realizing that all of that unforgiveness in your heart is not keeping them in chains? It's you. It's you. And Jesus wants you to be free. But you've got to take a walk with him. And I'm not going to end this sermon giving you a story of what forgiveness actually looks like. Because that's not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't tell this parable and then tell a story of forgiveness to kind of relieve the tension and just tie it all up with a nice little sweet hallmark bow. No, he just wants us to sit in it. To feel the weight of what he says, to feel the burden and reality of our own unforgiveness and to understand what it truly means. Jesus' call to forgiveness is so radical and hard and difficult. And he's telling you in this parable that the only way you can do it, the only way that forgiveness can be rooted in your identity and be at the core of who you are and be your very posture towards this world and all who have hurt you, the only way is you have to begin with your own debt. Because it's there that you see the posture of your God towards you. So what do we do with all this? Right after this parable, Jesus left town. He left Galilee. And he began his journey towards Jerusalem to crawl on a cross and pay an infinite debt. And we have to go with him. You have to go with him. And that's the only application I have for you today, friends. To follow Jesus there. To go and sit at the cross for a second. And just ask him to crush your heart with the unbelievable, beautiful weight of his forgiveness towards you. So that you would finally be set free by it. So that you might come to know that your identity is not from what's been done to you. Your identity is from the one who forgives you. And he's called for you. Your name has gone out. And he has called you to come. And see him not seated on a a throne but hanging on a cross. So I'm just going to ask you, do you see him? Do you see him? Do you see those thorns smashed into his skull? Do you see his swollen face? Do you see his shredded back? Those nails so big that they can hold a grown man to a piece of wood? Do you see all that Blood that just keeps pouring out. 
Do you see the king who was handed over to the torturers? Now, what does that tell you about the magnitude of what you can't see about yourself? What does that tell you about the size and scale of your debt that's so easy to overlook and underplay? But more importantly, what does it tell you about your king who on that cross looks down and says to you, come, it's time to settle your debts. You owe me 10,000 talents. You owe me 200,000 years of infinite debt. It's more than you will ever know. But it has been paid in full. And you are forgiven 77 times over. A new life I give to you. An identity born of mercy and grace. All hail, King Jesus. For the glory of Christ and the life of the world, let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would groan on our behalf when our words fall short. Mine certainly do. Holy Spirit, would you groan for us to be set free of our unforgiveness? Would you groan for us to see what we have been forgiven? Even just a small glimpse of an infinite debt so that we might see the forgiveness of our Lord and Savior. Might it be more real than the air we breathe, the sun on our face? We need you to come and minister to us. We need you to come and give us courage. We need you to come and bring conviction. And we need your grace to out-negotiate us. We need you to come and set us free. We ask that you would come and feed Christ to us at this table. We ask this in your name.